are continuing with our Christmas sermon series called Unwrapping the Present. May I just ask my water? <laughs> um, and before we jump in, I want to I ask a, a set of questions. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Can, can we give the band a hand? Just for, it's incredible. Thanks so much, guys, for serving us in and through praise and worship through music this morning. It was a really incredible time that we spent together. But let me jump right in by asking a few questions. Now, you have to be as honest as you possibly can be with those questions. But who of you loves the thrill of unwrapping a present? It doesn't matter what the present is, just unwrapping the present. Anyone? All right. Yeah, you remember as a kid, you would literally take it and you, 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 you don't even care about the wrapping itself. You know, these days the wrapping is expensive, so you might want to save it and take it off as nice as possible. I'm lying, you know, you don't do that. Um, but the second question is, who of you loves surprise gifts? Ones that you really didn't know you would be getting, meaning it was not on your wish list, okay? So it's just a surprise gift. Anyone? Loves the surprise gifts? All right, there's quite a few of you. Yes, we love it. All right. Last question. Have you ever given a gift to someone and they didn't open it up immediately? We all also like me is like, just opened up. I'll, I'll take out my gun. I'm, I'm serious. Like, to open it now. And then you get those people, they are very content. Oh, thank you so much. For, you know, and they just put it away. And I'm like, ah, no, no, don't do that. Uh-uh. Bring the gift. Open it up. I want to see your reaction when you're opening it. All right? Um, but you get people like that. I always laughed at my cousin every time he got chocolates during Christmas time. He's, he's not a big chocolate eater. Okay? But we would be together like a family, and he would get some chocolates for, for Christmas. And what he would often do is he would literally just put them away. Like if it was me, that lint chocolates that I got would be done the next day. Um, there would be no way for, of those chocolates surviving through the night. But he was the exact opposite. He would literally put it in the fridge. He would go to his house six months later, and the chocolates will still be in his fridge. But he won't let you eat it. And I'm like, like, listen, the expiry date is like in a year from now. Like, let's, let's just save it. I'll help you. I see you struggling. Um, but he never eats his chocolate. And I hated it as a kid. I really hated it. I still hate it now because I love sweets. Okay, don't, don't waste sweets. Please bring it to me. If you guys get sweets and you don't like it, bring it to me. We can do a trade even. I don't know. We can do something like that. But unwrapping Gifts or unwrapping the presents is always an amazing thing. And today, I specifically want us to unwrap the best, the best and most special gift of all time, as we're specifically focusing on the Son of God and the Son of Man this morning, or slash the Son of Man. You'll understand a little bit later in and through the sermon where I'm getting with the slash in between it. And last week, obviously, Nati spoke about the Lamb of God, but my very first topic or title is the son of who coming on what clouds all right so you need to understand from an old testament perspective we'll jump into it there's this vision in the book of daniel which daniel's daniel shared plus minus 550 years before jesus was born and the vision basically predicted that a son of man would be coming on the clouds we also know during in if you look at the scriptures and you know what happened afterwards 
there's also been that 400 silent years in between what we have today as the New and Old Testament. So the vision that they've heard, they've, they, they get these, this promise that the Son of Man is coming on the clouds. Now, you'll understand in a minute why that is so weird for Old Testament ears at that time, hearing this message. Here's the vision. It says, Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with a cloud of heavens, uh, with a cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion. The word dominion just means sovereignty and or control, and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, looking at Old Testament ears in that time, in Aramaic and Hebrew, the term son of man is simply a common expression to describe someone or something as human or human-like. But add clouds of heaven to the equation and it changes everything. Why? Because in ancient Near Eastern literature, someone appearing on the clouds of heaven was only referred to when it entailed a deity or different deities, as many believed in polytheism, the belief in many gods. So they would never put the Son of Man and coming on the clouds of heaven in one sentence. That would not happen. It would only be when, a, when they refer to a deity. Okay. So now, what Daniel is saying here is that, behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man, and he, became to the, he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So what he's saying is that there's a person coming, looking like a man, in human form, human-like, and he will be worshipped. He is one of those deities that he's speaking of that they would understand in that time. He's not a deity. He says he's the one that will be worshipped and all dominion in the world will be given to him. You'll understand a little bit later when I get to the high priest Caiaphas why that is so significant. But what I also adore about the scripture is that God was very clear about his mission from the very beginning. I love the fact that in his vision to, to Daniel, it says that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed god was clear about his message from the very beginning even looking at daniel 550 years before jesus was born he knew that all peoples and all nations will worship him together and if we look around us this morning we are getting a massive glimpse of heaven it's beautiful to see so many languages, so many races, so many just nations together in one room. And this vision is something that we're experiencing now. But you have to understand, in the Old Testament years, for Jews hearing this, they, they don't necessarily like this message. Because first and foremost, there's this blasphemy that's happening because a son of man, a human-like person that was always ascribed to a deity, would come on the clouds of heaven. But not just that, he will be worshipped. This takes us to the first fact. Jesus is the Son of Man. See, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus has been irritating the Pharisees because 
it's actually funny because the ones that were supposed to know the scriptures and the prophecies written missed the signs right in front of them all along. They had these encounters. Pharisees were always present. If you think about all the stories that were told, all the miracles that happened, all the healings that happened, there were Pharisees that was in the midst of them. They are also seeing what all these other people are seeing. Yet they're missing it. Yet they're the ones that had the scriptures. Yes, if we think about today, all of us sitting here might have, a, might have our Bibles with us. We have scripture that we can refer to. We have things that we can refer to in terms of uh, uh, preaching or sermons. And we have a lot of things that we can refer to in and through our own lives. Yet these people standing here really experiencing the healings, the miracles and everything are seeing it firsthand. They don't have the scriptures like the Pharisees do because you had to go to the synagogue in order for it to be read, in order to, for you to be able to hear it. And yet these guys that had the scriptures in front of them, the entire time is missing the miracles of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man standing in front of them. Let me take you to one of those stories. Now, we all know the story of the paralytic man who was lowered down into the, uh, from the roof because of his friend's faith, and they really saw Jesus, and they thought Jesus would be able to heal their, their friend. And then, obviously, in the midst of them again, Pharisees were standing, and Jesus said those words in Mark 2, verse 9 to 10. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, something that only God can do, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But you, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. So what Jesus is doing here, he's making sure that the two Pharisees that were standing there, I don't know if it's two, it could have been ten, I'm just saying it for the sake of the, the story. But the two that are standing there, seeing the exact same thing that all the other guys were seeing, he's saying these words, that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins, something only God can do. And this was in the beginning. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is only when he started out. This was not even a year late, uh, later in terms of the, 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 the miracle, the healing that happened in this time. And then a little bit later, if you forward a little bit forward, you see that Jesus was brought before Caiaphas, the, the high priest at the time, and the entire Pharisee council was present as well. And that's a very important point. All of them were present. All of them saw the miracles. All of them saw the healings. And now they're in a council. They are questioning Jesus. And hear what Caiaphas is saying in Matthew 26, verse 64 to 68. He's saying, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Isn't it interesting that the living God is in front of him, but he's adjuring him by the living God? I just found that very ironic. Um, and then he says, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So the high priest knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Why? Because otherwise the next part won't be true. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard these blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. What is it? Who is it that struck you? 
You see, the high priest Caiaphas wouldn't have acted in this way if he didn't know what it entails. Firstly, the son of man, which is a human-like or a human person, was, a, was giving himself, according to the scriptures, God-like ability. Seated at the right hand of power, meaning having full authority from God the Father himself and coming on the clouds of heaven. That is why the high priest took it so bad. And they, they literally put Jesus on trial saying, you deserve death. So if we look at the full context, it's important to understand that Jesus was and is 100% human. But he's also 100% God. Jesus' humanity and divinity exist together at the same time and at the same place. Both Jesus' humanity and divinity enabled him to redeem mankind from sin. That is why he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the one giving us salvation. The fact that we have a relationship with God and can have a relationship with God today is because the veil was torn and there's no longer separation between us and God. What an amazing thing. That Jesus has done on the cross, but it's because he was both human and he was both God. Third fact is the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. See, the ones, and if you look at Scripture and you read in Scripture, the ones who understood and had a revelation that Jesus was both man and God received salvation almost instantaneously in the Scriptures. Isn't it amazing that you, you even see this story there where Peter was asked, you know, who do you say I am? And it wasn't just Peter that was asked. It was the entire disciples that was asked. And obviously Peter has always jumped the gun and he said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And God, God immediately said on that truth and on that, I will build my church. And I will, you would be the cornerstone of that entire thing. And you see in scriptures as well, John 1 verse 43 to 51, we see the story that Nathaniel came to Jesus, but only later, he says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. I just love the fact that Philip doesn't even waste time in explaining. He just says, come and see. Okay, just come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, to, said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, because he knew the character of Nathanael. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Just because of that one revelation, he's saying you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He didn't, he didn't need much more. Why? Because he knew Jesus wasn't with him at the time that he was sitting under the fig tree. And he's sending Philip to say, go fetch him. And then Jesus answered him. Almost Jesus is, is in his human ability. He's basically perplexed at what he said. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus is affirming his faith. He's saying, 
That's exactly who I am. He's not, he's not trying to explain the things. He just says, you will see greater things than these. Why? Because you believed in something as simple as that. Your faith was open. Your heart was open. And that's why he said there was you. He was a person, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Because Nathaniel's character was like, I don't, do the, I don't do deceit. I do truth. That's what I do. And the moment the truth was shared to me, I'll take it fully. I'll take all of it. But the picture that Jesus showed Nathaniel is the fulfillment of a similar dream that the patriarch Jacob had of angels going up and down the ladder. And this was obviously in Genesis 28 verse 10 to 19. But ultimately, what, what Jesus has done is that Jesus bridges heaven and earth together by being the means of getting to heaven while also being the means of heaven coming down here on earth. It's amazing that if I had to draw a picture for you, and, and let's say there was, a, there was a mountain, and on top of this mountain is God. What religion says in the world is that we need to do everything in our human ability to get on top of this mountain where God is. We need to make sure that our works and our life, makes, we need to make sure that we get to God. That is the end goal. What Jesus has done is the exact opposite. He said, I know you won't reach God on top of that mountain, so I'll bring him to you. I'll make sure that you have a, a, a relationship and an encounter with the living God. And therefore, Jesus has bre, bre, uh, brought heaven to us, and he brought it down to earth. See, these two titles of Jesus affirm both his humanity and divinity. And for us today, we can celebrate Christmas because Christ came down to live among us, ultimately giving himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sin, so that in him we may have eternal life. Looking at our lives and looking where we are now, currently, what we can do now is enjoy the presence of God. Really enter into the presence of God, not live as if the veil was never torn. Living and saying, Lord, I want, I want to be a part of your presence. I want to linger in your presence. I want to enjoy every day where you are speaking to me and have a relationship with me. And that's why Jesus is the everlasting present and gift. I want to ask that you would come up and just play in the background as we listen to the next two scriptures that was given to us in Hebrews 2 verse 17 to 18. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. He's the gift that never stops giving. Every single day of our life we can partake in this gift. Hear what Hebrews 2 verse 17 to 18 says. He says, therefore, he had to be made like brothers in every respect so that he may, might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in through this scripture, Jesus basically giving us this beautiful invitation to partake in sanctification because he can fully relate with what we are going through on a day-to-day -day basis because he went through it himself yet without falling for the temptation and for sin the scripture that i want to highlight as well is also in hebrews 4 verse 14 to 16 and it says the words since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I just love these words where it says, let us draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. And I want to add that we not run away because of guilt. Let us not live as if the veil was never torn. And I want to ask that we close our eyes just for a moment. Maybe you've heard these words and maybe you're sitting here today and you just haven't spoken to God in a while because of guilt. Either because of past sin or stuff that you're struggling with right now. I would love to, t- to just pray with you this morning. Won't you just take some boldness and just put up your hand. If you feel distant from God at the moment where you find yourself in, won't you just say, Lord, I really need you. I see the hands. I see those hands. Maybe there's something that's keeping you away from really enjoying intimacy with God and you feel like there's some sort of barrier. There's something in your way keeping you away. If I'm speaking to you, please put up your hand for a moment. Okay. All right. Can I pray for us? Lord, you've seen each and every hand going up this morning. Lord, I pray that in these moments that you would take away all that guilt that the devil is putting on them. Lord, I pray that they would experience intimacy with you, especially during this holiday time, that, Lord, that won't be a time that we are running away from you, Lord, or taking a break from you. Lord, but that the opposite would be true that we would really enjoy times of refreshing, times in your presence, Lord, just lingering in your presence in an intimacy that's supernatural. Lord, thank you that you are the Lord of this life, the Lord over all. Lord, thank you that even looking at the scripture, you've, you've named yourself the most of the time in the New Testament, the Son of Man, referring that you, you came to fulfill. You didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. And because of that, Lord, we can live in a relationship with you. We can experience your presence every single day of our lives. Lord, what a privilege to know that we are serving a God who is not absent. Because what you've done on the cross, Lord, has enabled us to have life and life in abundance. Lord, thank you that you are, even in this moment, giving us a glimpse of heaven. Looking at people who worship you, people who are coming to Christ all over the world. Lord, thank you that you are not sleeping. You're always busy. You're always busy working in the hearts of men. Lord, thank you that we can just know that 
you've brought heaven down to us. You are the everlasting Father. You are the Redeemer of our souls. What a privilege to worship you. We pray that in your name alone. Amen.